0: guess what what it's time
1: oh lord time for what again civil discourse oh but man i really want to be in a safe space today nah man i I just want to snuggle it's rainy it's i'm not snuggling with you i want to well i didn't say with you you lost your mind
0: i wouldn't snuggle with money ever
1: living mind
0: you said snuggle man come on now
1: (laughs) <laughs> but the fact that the first thought in your head was with me—that can... Oh no way! We're gonna to to um, now. <laughs> listen,
0: you know, you and I've been avoiding avoiding really getting serious here, and, and what our dear listeners don't know is we've been chit chatting for twenty minutes because we've really been putting off this episode. But but I, I want to talk about something, and it's not on the topic list, and 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 this should be well. You never know what we're gonna do here, but. Listen, you and I do something that I don't notice amongst a lot of folks. And I I didn't tell you before we started the recorder, because I want to kind of point this out to you, because I don't even know that you're aware that you do it.
1: Oh, wait a minute. Let me sit down here.
0: It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Okay. You and I speak to everyone. If they're pushing a trash can with a mop on it, we always speak with them. If they're heading into the bathroom to go clean the toilets, you and I will always greet them and speak to them like we speak to everyone else. And I don't know if you know this, not everybody does that.
1: Well, that's interesting. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, why do we do it and other folks don't? Or why do you think most people don't?
1: I was leaning towards the latter because it's funny. You saying that makes me think about and say, yeah, I guess I, I do say hello and, and general politeness. But, uh, I don't think about it. It's not something I consciously make an effort to do.
0: It wasn't something I normally did either, but you and I were recently in a Barnes and Noble in New York city. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, they had limited access to the bathrooms down the hall because they were doing who knows what I, I, they said they were renovating. I think they were just trying to control how many people were waiting for the bathroom. And, uh, you spoke with the lady that was controlling access and were very polite and i said hmm most people that i'm watching come in and out because i had jonathan who was who was a little unruly <laughs> um, and most people were being very i would call rude to her
1: and Workers.
0: yes and, and so i i was kind of just noticing that you were very polite with her and i think First off, it's just, um, this is just my opinion. Uh, There are people who think certain jobs are beneath them in in, in first world countries. Uh, I I saw a cartoon recently where uh, a woman's turned to her son, the garbage truck is going by or the trash truck's going by. And she says, this is why you need to go to college. So you don't have to drive a trash truck for a living. Really? (laughs) And, And when I saw the cartoon and then the next panel says the guy in the trash truck saying, And this is why I try have a trash truck because I don't have a hundred thousand dollars in student debt. So it was a a joke on student debt. And, um, anyway, I think there are certain jobs that we look down on and say, uh, you know, that's just beneath me. And and you know, the old saw about ditch diggers, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, you don't go to school. You're going to grow up and be a ditch digger. Well, what what the heck's wrong with being a ditch digger?
1: (laughs) Well, the, the metaphor there is working hard, doing hard labor as your you know, bread and butter. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I've dug ditches.
0: <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs>
1: you know, I didn't do it to make a dollar. I did it because my father said we need to go dig a ditch out in the back forty, so to speak. And Mike will tell you what I mean when I say back 40. (laughs) (laughs) It it truly was a back 40.
0: And and here's the thing. I've dug a ditch too, but we didn't call it a ditch. We called it a trench. And and I started my professional life as an electrician. Mm. And so when you bury cable, you dig a trench because you have to go below the the frost grade. Yeah. Yeah. And and bury the cable. So we didn't call it ditch digging. It's It's ditch digging. And we didn't have that fancy tool that does it for you either. Let me
1: tell you what, I grew up in New England, and I don't know what the the Appalachian world is about south of New England, but I have a pretty good idea. Hard pan. If if it's anything like like northern New England, let me tell you something. We have two uh, uh, hell-drawn natural devices that make the world of digging just a five-letter word that starts with a B. The first is rocks, obviously. Lots of yeah. rocks. All those stone walls that are all over New England. That, and the uh, farmers
0: throwing the rocks in the pile.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was you couldn't plow one foot without hitting another one. So you know, there it is. Uh, the other one is roots, oh, and yeah. you have to be careful with roots because you you just start snapping roots. The next thing you know, you got trees that are leaning over your house, uh, uh, starting to wilt and die. Right. So you can't just cut roots indiscriminately, but man, if you have to dig, I, let's see the worst, the biggest hole I have to dig by hand was an extension to a septic system. We were putting in new stone and whatnot, and you couldn't get a machine in there. And I had to dig something like eight feet down. And I want to say about 10 foot by, by 15 foot, something like that. I mean, it was a summer project.
0: All right. City folk. Let me, let me explain what you just heard on a septic system. You have a tank and then the tank separates the, let's call it the, the solid matter from the liquid matter. The liquid matter goes out to what's called a drain field. Mm -hmm. And so what Charles is talking about is digging so that you can have a drain field and that drain field has to be below the frost line. Yep because it, you don't want your drain field freezing and it has to be relatively large. So it sounds like you were adding another leg to your drain field, in the size of the hole you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and oftentimes because of house spacing and in modern neighborhoods, it's got to be terrible. Uh, you can't get heavy machinery between the houses or if you're on the water on a mm-hmm. lake, you can't put a heavy machine down there which because what it'll our sink
1: yep.
0: or you have rocks. And the other issue is most of this country that we live in, if you're not on the uh, mid Atlantic part of the East coast on the coastal plains in, in on the North American continent continent, you're either dealing with hard pan, which is like rock, you're dealing mm-hmm. with rock or there are places in Texas, in the greater Dallas and Houston area, you go, you go down a, a foot, it's just rock. It's solid ledge, and you yeah. ain't getting any further.
1: Well, uh, Tennessee, so, that whole area, nobody has a basement.
0: Right, It's a right.
1: rare thing. And I even, well, you have, you're in Virginia, but it's a water uh, level.
0: Yeah, water's is the issue here. Yeah. Uh, when, but
1: you go out a little bit further west, and it's ledge. You right. Can't, you can't dig down.
0: You get west of Richmond. You you have basements from Williamsburg, Virginia, to Richmond, Virginia, probably towards Charlottesville. And then once you start getting in the, in the foothills of the Appalachians, you have a basement if you're on a hill. Yeah. Because so, yeah. Uh, and, and there are some basements, no doubt, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things where basements are probably more the rarity than the norm in a lot of the U S anyway. Um,
1: so I would say to this, and just speaking for myself, um, my psychology is such that I look at some jobs I did. I think of that as something that I did not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did it, you know, not by choice. It was one of those, uh, you live in this house. We have something we need to do. Get your butt out here and do it. And, uh, being a relatively obedient son, that's what I did. <laughs> I like that word relative. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here, here's the thing though. And,
0: and, and being dead serious, uh, I joined the military at 17 and you start literally at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so the things that are at the bottom, I know it's an old movie cliche, go peel the potatoes, go uh, strip and, and wax, the. they call them decks on ships, but go strip and wax all the decks, go clean the toilets, go clean the showers. And, and the lower the rank you have, which when you start, you have no rank, the more of those menial, and I'm using the word menial in quote fingers here, you can't see it, more, the more of those menial tasks you have. And even officers- even officers in the military, when they come to the ships on their, they don't get summer vacations from school, by the way. Mm. Uh, When they come to the ship during the summer prior to their commissioning as, as officers, they're given those same menial tasks. So they go, we call it mess cooking in the military. You don't call it potato peeling duty. You go to mess cooking duty or you go to cleaning duty or uh, you work for the master at arms on the ship cleaning And I'm not talking nice places, going in bilges with oil and nastiness. And, and, you know, when you start off like that, and first off, those jobs are important because dirty shifts cause illness and and, and attract rats.
1: So anybody, military or not, anybody who's had to use a toilet, public is the first thing that comes to mind, Mm -hmm. that has not been cleaned properly. Mm-hmm. should appreciate the virtues of the person who actually has the responsibility of cleaning them. I mean, we're well, very grateful for those people.
0: <laughs> we need to be. We need to be. The other thing for me, and, and and I think you'll have a similar story is, you know, my family background, we're an immigrant family. And so that impact of being immigrants uh, still hits my family. Uh, my my father is is now an electrical engineer, but he didn't start off his his working life as an electrical engineer. He did two things that he has told me about. He painted steam pipes with a paintbrush, and he put lids on cans in a can American canning company factory. Mm. And those were his first two jobs as a dad with a, a young son, me, and a wife, and, and that's how he put food on the table. And uh, you know those jobs cleaning hotel rooms, cleaning toilets. Uh, uh, being the guy who comes with the sawdust and the broom when someone vomits on the floor. Those are jobs that a lot of immigrants and folks from lower socioeconomic backgrounds take because that's how they put food on the table.
1: It's, it's interesting because I, I think of some of the jobs I've, I've done and whether it was done as a chore, so to speak, or done as an actual job I was paid for. And, and even within that, whether it was a job I may have been paid for, but I didn't have to work necessarily. I was choosing to make some extra money or what, or whatnot, but it wasn't necessarily, it was the job that was available. Or in some cases, there's one that keeps popping to mind. Uh, when I moved to New York city at a certain point in life and I had to survive at this point, there was no, you know, going home to mom and dad, there was, I had responsibilities. I had bills that needed to be paid. I had to work, and New York is a hard place. Mm-hmm. Have to survive, and so um, the the career related jobs were not necessarily available in the time frame I needed. So I had to find something, and I ended up in a restaurant. It's nothing I am ashamed of. Uh, the no work, as far as I am concerned, if it's honest and and uh, and proper, is is worthy of shame. But it was a job I hated. I mean, hated. And I, the people I had to work with, not only as coworkers, I mean, not all of them, but there were a few that were just miserable and, and the customers, frankly, <laughs> were well, um, <laughs> a mixed bag is the best I could say. And I remember, uh, even my very first night on the job, um, I, I, it just was a miserable night. I, I was screwing up cause I wasn't that good at it. I got better, but I never got what I would call good when I saw other people who actually were good at it. And I remember almost in tears, I I, I stopped myself, but almost in tears, I I almost quit. And I was like, no, no, you got to pull it together. And the funny thing is, it's a character builder, and I hope I never, ever have to do it again. But I'll tell you this, if it was the difference between feeding my child and keeping a roof over our head, I'd sign do up it. this afternoon. You
0: do it. And, and you know, I, before I, joined the, me. <laughs> before I joined the military, I, I thought I was going to be this great professional musician. And, uh, so I, I was out and, and by the way, music gigs didn't pay then either. And, and so I did a lot of fast food work. I, I did a lot of plunging of toilets that got stopped up and, uh, I did a lot of, of work that was just miserable. I waited tables at a country club. I had three, four gigs going at any given mm-hmm. time because I had to make enough to live on. And and you can't you gotta have multiple jobs when you're doing that kind of work. And I I I I by the way, the 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 server, the table server who can dance through the dining room uh and, and make it look easy. Folks, it ain't easy. That oh, no. person, that person is amazing, and and guys like Charles and I just watched them and went, man, I wish I could be that good
1: at that job. No, no, no. Actually, I'm going to stop you there. I never wanted to be that good.
0: <laughs> well, at any job, but those folks are are professionals. Yeah, well, exactly. they are the top of the heap. They are the people that eventually end up in those very exclusive restaurants where they pay because they make more in tips than you could ever pay them. Um, And, and I, and I've been to those, I've been on a couple occasions in my life. I've actually been to those kind of restaurants and the service is just, it's even better than the food. And, and, but I, I think, you know, with the kind of beginnings that, that you and I both have had, um, and I'm not saying if you haven't had those beginnings, that makes you rude, but I think we're more prone to being sensitive to the fact that there for once went I, you know, once upon a time, that was me. Well,
1: so here's the thing. I, I mean, we've used the word privilege in different contexts. And by any measurement, I grew up in a privileged life. Wealthy? No. But I needed for nothing. I wanted for plenty, but I needed for nothing. And that, as far as I'm concerned, in any global context, is a privileged. Uh, op-
0: I think most Americans are privileged. We just don't realize
1: it. Well, there are plenty who are struggling. I, I don't think we can deny that. Um, but but the opportunity is certainly more prevalent um, here to to get off that that base level, uh, you know, regardless of, of circumstances. Um, some places you're there, that's where you're staying. So mm-hmm. in America, we certainly have, uh, a different level of opportunity, uh, in a global context to get off the ground. But regardless, you know, we see in the reality shows we see in, in, on TV and in the movies and all these, you know, in the tabloids, the, the real privileged, uh, young people who, you know, have not had to work a day in their life. They're, you know, wrapping cars around trees and getting a new in the next day. Some of us went to school with some of these people. Some of them, you know, are just, you know, myths we read about or hear about on TMZ or whatever it is. And I always said that no matter how, I, I, I always felt this way, no matter how much money I may make in life, if I should have children, they are going to still make their own bed. Yep. They are going to have chores. If I have a girl, she's going to be out splitting wood just as much as if I have a son, they're going to learn how to cook in the kitchen. There's there's not going to be any disparity in learning the skills and life perspectives uh, that that come with rolling your sleeves up and contributing. And it's, you know, is that the same as I need all of of the able-bodied people in this house, regardless of age, to find some kind of income so that we can pay the bills? No, that's not the same thing. But it doesn't matter whether or not your college is paid for and we have that kind of lifestyle. You can still be mowing the lawn. You can still be helping to stack the wood. You can still be helping to paint the house and, and do the things that, yeah, we could pay someone to do it, but there's something to be said for having that level of, of perspective on on hard work within you because, A, it's a life skill that you're learning. B, it's understanding what you're capable of. C, and the, I mean, this is in no particular order, it's, it's uh, f- f- fulfilling what I believe is the responsibility of every family member to contribute to that family um, within the reason of your circumstances, both age and condition. And um, and and going forward, if you fall upon hard times, and I don't care if you're a billionaire today, you could be in the street tomorrow. That's called life. There's no guarantee well, uh, that comes with it. Uh, and,
0: and we know that statistically, we know that. Uh, there's been analysis and studies done by several prominent universities, including George Mason University in Northern Virginia, where they look at the top 10% of wage earners in America
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the bottom 10% of wage earners in America over decades. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that population is constantly churning. It's on both ends. It's constantly changing. Most people don't stay in either of those economic groups for long. And, and, you know, I've told the joke before you and I both, you've heard me say it before, you know how to make a small fortune, start with a big fortune. (laughs) And, And so there's a lot of truth to that. Folks who think they've made it stop. It's why many lottery winners end up bankrupt because, uh,
1: they have no no respect for it. They have no
0: respect. They didn't work to earn it, and so it's like water to them, and they don't understand that the tap will run dry uh, if they don't if they're not careful. And so, I, I think.
1: But but y- but having a background that gives you both the mental uh, stability and the physical ability to rise to the challenge of your circumstances mm-hmm. today regardless of what they were yesterday, I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if God forbid something happened to my wife and my career took a turn and it's just me and my son and I got the bills to pay, there is nothing in me that fears going out and getting whatever work I need to get to provide, because I know I can do it. I've done it before. And that gives me a certain degree of comfort. And I I pity, frankly, those who have been raised without learning that about themselves. And the problem is, anybody who thinks this is this is poo poo worthy should read some history about 1929. Because in 1929, there were a lot of people in this country who grew, came up from from modest means, so they knew how to survive, and. Then the crash happened, and either they were already surviving, so it wasn't as big a deal to 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 have to roll up their sleeves a little bit further. But you had people who also were utterly wealthy and knew nothing of working with their hands, knew nothing of having to survive. And then in a day, they lost everything. The suicide rate in 1929, 1930, immediately after the big crash, I think was what, one of the highest moments in the history.
0: It was. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is, is the men that we look back at as the robber barons. And I'm thinking of like Andrew Carnegie. I, I never say his name, right. It's not Carnegie. Uh, it's like Nagy. Carnegie, yep. uh, who I believe was a Scotsman. Mm-hmm. He was an immigrant. Mm -hmm. he started he started literally working with his
1: hands
0: (laughs) working with his hands Yep. and 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 those kind of men and and the 29 uh crash was not the first big recession this or depression this country had had no there was a 1920 depression there was another one i think in the 1890s And, and men like andrew carnegie were built to weather those kind of storms the ones that you really in my experience, the, the folks who really had a hard time were the second generation, not the ones who made the money, the ones who grew up with the money.
1: Well, keep in mind, there were two different ways a lot of the wealthy people made money. The Carnegie's actually had industry.
0: Right. These they were, were industry, industry. Yep. So yep.
1: there was a significant amount of their fortunes. Rockef-
0: the Rockefellers died. as well. Yes. The Rockefellers were standard oil.
1: But the, the what we call dot-com millionaires in our version today, but the stock market millionaires, the ones who made yep. their money. <laughs> <laughs> in the stock market, and many of them made it a lot. I mean, these were what would be the equivalent of billionaires today. The the stock market was so high at the time, um, you know, adjusted for inflation. They suddenly lost everything. And just like the lottery winners, they had not in any way thought about what happens tomorrow. And uh, many of them... Uh, you know obviously it's not all of them many you know just had to go back to how they were living before or whatever but a lot of them they couldn't handle it there well they had dug no them, them. too so yeah
0: they had dug themselves in a hole yeah. uh so 1913 the federal reserve is founded in this country and uh what it did was guarantee certain banking transactions in the creation of the federal reserve which is considered a private bank but but their whole board is appointed by the U S government. So mm-hmm. how private can it really be? But it created a situation where these investors were able to invest on borrowed money. And so they not only invested in the stock market and made lots of money, they continued to, to invest. And I'm putting quote fingers on borrowed money. And so when their stocks crashed, the banks called in their loans and they were not only flat broke, they were deep in the hole. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're, uh, and you know, if you ever want to have fun, go in and put a hundred dollars, 1930 versus today and in the internet, in fact, I'm going to do it as we talk, uh, and, well,
1: and by the way, the concept of declaring bankruptcy, that didn't exist.
0: exist Yeah, it didn't exist. And so they're facing
1: was still there. It didn't just go away. (laughs)
0: So they were facing a hole they couldn't dig their way out of. And, and by the way, 1930, $100 would be worth about $1,800 today.
1: Nice.
0: So 18 times, you lose a $1 million, that's $18 million. You lose $10 million, that's $180 million. Uh, and that's the kind of top numbers we're talking. So you have a $180 million that you just lost and you're $350 million in the hole. That's what those folks were looking at.
1: Yeah, it, it it you know uh, despair, true despair. Because what do you do? There's no way I can get out of it. And so their bankruptcy, you know, came in the form of for a lot of people jumping out of buildings. It was horrible.
0: Well, um, and you see it if you watch that movie, uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," where uh, the old uh, banker says, "You're worth more dead than alive," George Bailey, mm. a- and that's, you got to understand that there was no bankruptcy. That wasn't discharging that debt that uncle Billy had lost. Uh, No relation to our uncle Billy, by the way, (laughs) Uh, that, you know, that they, they had lost, he had lost uh, the money of their investors and and there was just no uh, getting out of it. He was going to go to debtor's prison. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, and that was a man with, what do you have in the movie? Three, four, five kids. So his wife was looking at, not being able to live and there was no social safety net back then to speak of The the church may be providing something, but there really wasn't any developed social safety network. So uh, the pictures of men standing in line looking for jobs and waiting for soup, uh, soup at a soup kitchen and uh, men leaving home to go to work to provide for their families. That's real. It it really happened.
1: But there, you know, again, not to make light of it, but when you talk about the concept of separating the men from the boys. There was an, a, a moment there in our society where a lot of people, including women, not just the men, um, had to find out real quick what they were made of. And for those who came from a certain degree of humility uh, in their in their upbringing, uh, I think that might have been an easier mountain to climb for them. Not not, not fun. But uh, it was not un- inconceivable how they might work to survive. Um, and young people, there was no such thing as, I don't want to mow the lawn or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know? It was, you're going to go to the factory that's still open and you're going to get a job and you're going to run around with a bucket of water and give water to the My men. My mother still, are, well, she won't know, but in
1: her latter years, she would still talk about remembering In her case, uh, because she came on in the end of the Depression, she was born in 37, but her older siblings who were born in the early 30s, um, and I I forget when Jean was the oldest was born, but early 31, something like that, um, they would talk about going up to the train tracks and picking up the pieces of coal that lay along the tracks falling off the trains. And they'd bring that home, literally, and that's what got the fire going that night. Um, and and other versions of of, of of that level of survival, that was required. And there was no complaining about it. There was, eh, I don't feel like it. There was, you know, there was no whining. I think if you even thought the word whine, you probably got a bat across the, the back of the head. Because um, this was, you know, pre-your special generation. <laughs> You, you remember those people, right?
0: Oh, I'm just laughing because, uh, you know, I, I've shared with our listeners before, but uh, I'll repeat, if you watch that 70s show, that's my generation. We mm-hmm. were truly spoiled. We were truly spoiled. Uh, and, and and by the way, I get why. And the generation before us, which were the baby boomers, were spoiled because those are the, the children of the men who fought World War II. They wanted to give their kids a better life. Uh, and so... I, I get it, you know, and, and my parents, my mother in particular is of that, that she's not, a, she wasn't a hippie, but she was of that hippie generation. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and that's kind of your parents as well. They're, our parents are about the same age. Uh, mm-hmm. and I have a brother your age, so that's not crazy talk. It, it's just one of those things where we look, we look and say, yeah, we've been really spoiled. And and the hard generations are pretty much dying off right now, sadly. And I'm not making light of that. But- now, I,
1: I'll say this about our parents. So in my case, again, speaking for myself, my parents, I think, definitely wanted me to have access to opportunity that they did not. And they wanted me to succeed in ways that they may not have been able to. But there is not a single skill in their toolboxes that they didn't want me to have. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I, it, I
0: know exactly what you're saying.
1: There was there was no degree of not knowing how to cook, clean, sew, repair, paint, uh, fix, uh, split wood. I mean, I did... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I mean, my my upbringing was sort of little house on the prairie, except it was in the woods,
0: <laughs> the big woods. He had a little house in the big woods, which is the first book. The in first book, term. exactly. Yeah,
1: but no, that I, was very much my upbringing well, in the early '80s through the through 2000. You know, when uh, uh, I was out of high school by then. But I mean, if you talk about the, the, the even even as a little little kid, you know, five or six, I was out there in the garden with my parents doing stuff, not because, you know, I was that interested, but you were planted out there here playing this dirt, get used to this space. You're going to be spending a lot of time in it coming up. (laughs) You know, it's funny you should say that, but you and I,
0: you've seen the way I am. I I'm like, that's broken. I think we could fix that. Let's, let's take Mm -hmm. a look at that. And, And you've watched me tear things apart and start going into it. And it was many years before I realized this was my dad's influence on me. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't have money to call a repairman in. And, And I remember my dad saying, you know what we have brains here we just don't know how to do it but we can figure this out there's a place called a library and i think you've told me that your dad a was what? the same way
1: a What?
0: <laughs> yes yes and, and we would go to the library we pull. Oh, the you mean google out. oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we would go to the library we'd pull the books off the shelf we figured out how to do it and we'd do it my dad and i spent a very cold uh, february or march i can't remember changing the heads on the engine of his toyota because they had gone bad and we did it with library books sitting on the dining room table. And, um, (laughs) you know,
1: think reminding me of a, of a meme. Um, I I may have shared this on the show in a a previous episode, but I have to, I have to say it, it's somewhere on Facebook or online. I don't know where I saw it, but it was, uh, if any of you think that, uh, we are, the previous generation was dumber than us essentially remember that a car, the manual of a car in 1973 or whatever told you how to adjust the timing on your engine. Now the manual of the car tells you not to drink the liquid in the battery. There you go.
0: That's and the other meme that just popped in my mind was they showed the picture of the old decrepit veteran uh, sitting at, at whatever ceremony. And it says, just remember this guy was once this guy. And the next picture is a guy of a guy who's obviously been hurt being carried back behind yeah. the lines, shooting a pistol. The,
1: the, the version, the version of that, that I saw, which still sticks with me was, Uh, You know, some old man with his pants up to his nipples and, you know, looking as we make up front of him, he said, you know, whatever you may think of this man today, remember, he was once a badass that you will never, ever be. And, And And that may not be true for everybody, but most of us today, you know, we're not being drafted. We're not being called to action in the way that 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 generation was. And not that they were looking to do it either, but they stepped up. Oh, they um, did. They did. And, and whatever they may have grown old as, boy, they, uh, they were something.
0: No, they were, they were something. And there was a TV show my wife and I were once watching where, uh, this old guy's in the pool and, and the, this, it was set in the eighties. And he says, to the young guy, he says, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to figure out who I am. And the old guy looks at him and says, you know how I figured out who I was? I killed Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, wow, you know, but there's truth to that. And, and that is the generation or the generation right before the one that raised the two of us. And, uh, they came out of that depression and, and my dad and your mom are, 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 the same age. Uh, so they saw the tail end of the depression, but, uh, I talked to people who grew up who were a bit older than my parents who would say they had it good because they grew up on a farm. And, and so they didn't go hungry. There was plenty of work to do. They even made a little money every year during the depression. The problem was there was nothing to buy. There was nothing out there that they could use their money for things, common things like cooking oil, which is not available or, or kerosene wasn't available or gasoline couldn't be purchased at several times during those times. And and so because of the huge hit on manufacturing because of the depression, because there was no demand, uh, there was just nothing you could spend your money on. So the, $40, $50 they made off the crops, sat in a jar. Um, and, and that was their reality. And and so I think all this comes back to the point that, you know, the old, and I, I've said it before on this show, uh, which comes from a book from I think the seventies about uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men and weak men create hard times that that cycle I think we're on the weak man creating hard times part of the cycle right now because I want a job where I can be the supervisor when I get out of college. I don't want to have to be a worker bee.
1: Well, I think that to some degree, the and, and that may be starting to change. It may be starting to change. First of all, I, I just saw a statistic uh, the other day that we're in the lowest unemployment uh, rate right now that we've been in. Something like fifty years, or I forget what. The, no, but what. there are
0: eight there are eight million working age men who are sitting in the basement playing video games instead of going to work. Well, Bill Maher talked about that. Yeah, you know? it's there's
1: <laughs> it's always a matter of what it is you're measuring. But I think that you know there's there's been a, a crime committed in the marketing of of the virtue of certain types of work and you know the the misnomer unfortunately which hopefully will start to shift is that there's there's no money to be made in in the manual labor world well uh, when i look at the check i i, I just wrote my uh, electrician um or plumber or or carpenter or, or whatever it is uh th- he's doing okay um and of course that money covers parts and other things and, that aren't just the, the, oh yeah yeah, but yeah. But at a hundred and something dollars an hour uh, to be an electrician today, now you have to study. It's not just, you know, roll up with a pair of wire cutters, but there's, there's a lot of, of, of career opportunity right now, especially in the trades. The only thing that I have contention with, and this is a bit off topic, but I, I still hold to it. I, I don't like the idea that we sell, we, we frame the, the career conversation as it's, either go to college and find a job that is college-based uh, or, or you go into the trades. And I realize that's been an argument for as long as I've been around. I, I remember getting into disagreements with teachers when I was in school about that. I don't agree with that. The, there is absolutely a, a certain track of career that is specifically college-level and a lot of times you come out of college and the career isn't there as, as you had hoped. But I, I still believe in the value of higher education in a number of forms that it may come as, as a value of, of enriching you as a person. And so that to me, if, that, if, that's if, not a black and white issue the way it gets framed, I think, far too often. You are not a lesser electrician because you also went to school. No. Um,
0: if, if only we knew someone though, who started off in the trades and then went into college and maybe even got a few advanced degrees, <laughs> Hmm. wonder who that could be. I love the way you set me up by the way. Oh, you know, <laughs> because that is my, that is my path. I started off yeah. in the military. I learned a trade. I worked with my hands. I, I, in the, during my military career, I saw a need for college and, and, you know, the big secret of my life is I was a high school dropout uh because I thought I was gonna be this fabulous musician who wrote really cool songs. I still write really cool songs. I'm never not not even close to being a fabulous musician. Uh but, but anyway, you know, and, and so I I turned an opportunity in the military into an opportunity to get multiple degrees paid for by the military uh and got my GI Bill. So when I I got out of the military I went and got my doctorate with my GI Bill. But I started off as blue collar as blue comes. I literally wore a blue collar to work every day, a dark blue collar to be exact. Mm -hmm. And um, you know what, it it gave me a confidence that uh, when my sink was leaking a couple weekends ago, I pulled out the tools, I took apart the sink, I sealed the drain, I put the sink back together again, and my sink wasn't leaking anymore.
1: And, and, and I assume your PhD did not diminish your skills with your hands like no, you were shaking in front of the the no. project, uh,
0: nor did did, did the uh, the skill set to be able to change that drain diminish my ability to get a PhD. Exactly. And so. and that's
1: that's I think that's very important because I don't like the direction we seem to be in. In in this sort of monochromatic or, or black and white, either it's, you either it's college or it's with your hands. There's nothing in the middle. There's no combination of the two.
0: And it's but not an either or. Difference. It's not an either or choice. You uh, can you can choose both. You I can, think that
1: you can, absolutely is it reasonable that if you have the personal desire, whether it's a desire that exists today or it's one that develops down the line to go to school, then go to school if you have the means to make that happen. Um, I do, I do think you should pause, one should pause and look at the finances. Um, there are lots of ways to finance a, a, a college degree without necessarily being hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and certain, uh, career tracks. Unfortunately, you know, doctors and famously come out of school with tons of debt uh, from certain institutions. But on the other hand, uh you know the the idea and I don't know if it's really true today, but the idea was that they're going to make a certain amount of money to offset that. But I know there are teachers, uh you, a public school teacher really can't be a public school teacher today without a college education. Oh, you and even a master's. Yeah. I think yeah. most places you still even you may not have to do it immediately. You can start teaching coming out of undergrad but uh i think you, in most systems now you have to go a certain amount of time before you have achieved a masters as well in in a lot of them at
0: least well e- even in virginia which is a right to work state with uh, a a relatively weak union presence in teaching uh you're required to get 180 certification points recertification points every 5 years the easiest way to get recertification points is taking a couple of college classes at the masters level And pretty quickly, you've already, let's just say it's not a requirement, but they make it too easy not to get a master's degree. And
1: you
0: you get a pay raise for each degree. You know, people say, why do you have all those degrees, Mike? Because the more initials I could put behind my name, Mm -hmm. the more money they paid me. And so not only did I go get those degrees, I went and got national board certification as well because that was an additional thousands of dollars a year that I made for my family. And but again, and,
1: and, and here's the question that everyone who's listening to this is probably asking, do you think in addition to raising your income potential, did it make you a better teacher? Oh, absolutely. Well, there you go. Absolutely. Because National Board specifically did because you had to
0: reflect on your teaching practices and how you could improve them. The, the, the process is brutal. It is brutal. It is harder than a PhD. I, and I mean that in that you have to watch film of yourself self-critique, come up with an action plan on how you're going to be better. Then you have to film yourself enacting that action plan and showing that you have gotten better on top of the tests that you have to take. So yeah, all those initials behind my name always made me a better teacher. They just did. I got a master's degree in instructional education, or instructional technology. And I was just talking to a fellow colleague, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, and we talked about this on an earlier episode um, called Ripples. Uh, and and he and I were talking. And he said, you know, we were just doing really innovative stuff 10, 15 years before it was cool. And, and both of us said it was because of the master's programs that we were taking at the time that gave us the idea to do that in the classroom. I, my kids were turning in assignments electronically in 2005, 2006. Uh, that's the norm now. I was the first guy in the school system doing that here in Virginia.
1: Well, so. and, and it's worth saying, you know, just keeping things in perspective, there are very few skilled jobs on which my w- health and well being rely. And I mean, everything from the surgeon who's cutting me open to the person teaching my son to the electrician who's keeping my yep. house from burning down. Um, that I don't want to have there let me stay, say the sentence again, there are very few professionals on which my well-being rely that I'm not interested in their continuing to improve their skills
0: absolutely. my I'm my son and I had <laughs> my son and I had this conversation recently. Uh, I was doing some work around, as you know, I've torn this house completely up, and I'm doing all kinds of stuff in the house. And he saw that I had this new, very new very cut well, Last two, three years, cutting edge com, uh, connector that I was using for wires. And um, he said, Dad, old guys like you don't use these. I said, Well, I, I may be an old guy chronologically, but when it comes to my skill set, I'm never an old guy. I'm always innovating. A- and in those blue collar fields, there's been a huge technological impact. Mm-hmm. A- and you want your plumber, you want your electrician, you want your uh, heating and air guy. Uh, HVAC tech is what they're called. Mm-hmm. You want your roofer, you want all those folks to be on the cutting edge of, of those trades. And you want your builder to be on the cutting edge because the tie downs that they put on your joists and, and the way they build your house has changed dramatically from the way it was built in 1990. A- and those changes have made structures safer, uh, more fireproof. Uh, uh, the electrician's, fewer electrical fires of course you want that and and yeah it's just so it's and, it and, and
1: whether that comes in the form of a formal degree or certification classes or self-improvement whatever it is yes. <laughs> there this this idea of improving one's self is, as far as I'm concerned, not to be questioned. Now, are there different ways to go about it? Sure. And in some in some fields, there are official ways you have to go about it, like you say, teaching. Um, and I think doctors, you know, to a certain degree, have to constantly be... You know, getting this new thing and studying that and reading these articles, I don't know how they measure it, but I think to maintain your life. they
0: also have to get recertification points and earn so many points exactly. And I'm so, grateful
1: for that. Thank you. <laughs> and,
0: and by the way, that that is a private agency that that certifies your doctor. That's a private agency that issues national board certification. Uh, and so these professionals have seen the value of that continuing education so much so that they've created organizations. To help you uh, track that and 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 achieve that, yeah. proficiency. Uh, real quick before before we we jump off the subject of doctors, I remember I was in line, and I realized that the guy in front of me was an attorney, and the guy behind me was a medical doctor, and so we started chit chatting back and forth uh, about what those programs do for you, as well as the program I had gone through. And by the time we got to the front of the line, we realized it was all about teaching you a way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's what those doctoral level programs do. They teach you a way of thinking and going all the way back to the very beginning of this episode, 45 minutes ago, I think every, every trade, regardless of whether it's the guy who's uh, cleaning uh, the guy who's plumbing, the guy who's running your wires in your home uh the guy who's waving the little flags bringing the aircraft back to the gate when mm. you when you waited three days to get your southwest flight to get home uh from your christmas break
1: oh by the way that's another field i'd like <laughs> them to be on the top of their game pilots
0: <laughs> absolutely not just the pilots but the ground crew the oh, mechanics yes, the all. avionics the, 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 if the, i'm uh,
1: going up you better be down that's all i'm saying <laughs> yes,
0: yes yes the uh airframes and power plants guys mm-hmm. at APMP and 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 all those guys we want them on the top of their game yep. and and the way you stay on the top of your game is you continue to improve your skill set through your life and it it goes back to that server that we saw in the restaurant who's dancing through the the dining room she didn't get that way from birth she got that way from training and skills and and a love of serving people and well, that- and
1: I'll tell you those those folks uh who were who were good at serving, where I was making, you know, two hundred dollars a night, they were making five. Oh yeah. And you know, they a lot of those people are probably still uh, working there, you know, a decade plus later. But um it's if they found a joy, if they found a purpose and a contribution, and they're able to make an honest and he's an even decent living in the process, there's no shame to be had there.
0: Absolutely none. And, and you know, it's the first time we have the opportunity to
1: say, be sure you tip
0: your servers. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> well, we're going to have another episode about tipping um, and in the history of where that came from. But before we go there, um, I just want to uh, tie a bow on a couple of these points. Sure. You you mentioned, for example, that you yourself dropped out because you were going to go be a musician. Um, and it, it, that's not an original story, by the way. Oh, lots I think lots of young men actors, and women have August, that story. General, yes, so. yes. But I, here's the thing I, I I, keep coming back to, and I said this earlier, but I'm going to reiterate it. Um, And and going on your point about how at the doctoral level, it, it's not just, it, it's really not more about, it, it's no longer about just feeding new information. What it is, is about learning how to critically on a much deeper level think and, and assess and analyze and then draw conclusions to move forward. I would argue that that in principle is also what your standard college uh, degree is about. I mean, in high school, it should have been, yes. (laughs) There is a certain degree of shoving shoveling information in there. And then you go to college and now we start to think about what do we do with that? And there's an amalgamation of both ends of that scale. But the how to think concept in general, and I do think that higher education, and I'm using low lowercase h there, because higher education can also mean, uh, as Goodwill Hunting put it, just going to the library, reading, constantly improving oneself, engaging conversations that are outside of your bubble. I I I've thoroughly believe this, that when we stop becoming curious, when we stop uh, develop, uh, utilizing our desire to grow and improve and engage and learn, we have no purpose left. And, you know, it's funny because we're going to talk more about that in that episode that we keep not wanting to do about uh, later life issues. But I think that, you know, whether you're 17 or 70, there is an absolute imperative to to need to want to continue to grow in some form. I mean, there are things I don't want to know any more about. I'll admit, but in some cases I have to learn more about them. In some cases, it is what it is. I I, I can afford now to hire somebody else to deal with the computer, but <laughs> you know, it's. I I think it's very important that people value self improvement because it is. It, it, it's 100% the, the force that drives the quality of person that we are, both internally and amongst ourselves, in our own hearts and minds, and how we deal with other people. And there seems to be, uh, in certain circles, a, a poo-pooing of that importance, you know, and, and somehow labeling it, well, that's what college is, you know, it's, it's only about college or whatever the case is. I, I struggle with that. That that gives me concern, because when we don't want to grow anymore, that's when the major problems start to pile up.
0: Oh, and you're absolutely right. I was you, as you were speaking. First off, many of the leading experts in in multiple fields, including economics and uh, uh, other uh, law, et cetera, et cetera, are are what we call autodidacts. They're self taught. Mm-hmm. And, and they never attended university, and and many of them are are considered top notch, number two, three, one, four, whatever in their fields. Uh, the other thing that I thought about, and, and you you hit me, and and talked about the loss of a sense of purpose and moving forward and improving yourself, and, and we will have to talk about this. Is my mom used to always talk about Grandma Moses? Do you, mm-hmm. do, do you know who Grandma Moses was? Oh, yeah. She was 78 years old and decided she wanted to be a painter. Mm-hmm. She died at 101. Uh, she was from uh, New York, and uh, her paintings today are worth millions, millions.
1: Just just so the math is clear, between 73 and 101, that's longer than a lot of people's initial lifetime. Absolutely.
0: Particularly in the era she she was born during the American Civil War. Yeah. So, you know, particularly in the age she was in, I, I think she... Uh, My mom always said, as long as you're sucking wind, you can start getting better at something. Mm -hmm. And um, I am not a believer that college is the answer for everybody. And I'm not a believer that you have to go to college to be an expert in anything. Mm -hmm. I've met many men who never even finished high school, who know more about everything than I know about anything. And I have a great deal of respect for folks who, instead of sitting in front of the TV every night, they're in a book. And they're learning everything mm-hmm. they can. And, and so, um, yeah. I, I, and for you, the record,
1: just to, you know, <laughs> other end of the scale, there are plenty of people with college degrees that ain't worth a lick of salt.
0: Yeah. And, and the opposite. <laughs> there are plenty who are great. And, and I work right. with lots of great college graduates every single day in my professional life. But to your point, education is not about a letter behind your name. Now, will it get you more money as a school teacher? In certain fields, it has
1: value.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But in many fields, it has a lot of value. And I think we've talked in a previous episode, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, you can still read the law, meaning you can become an attorney and never go to law school. You just have to pass the bar.
1: Yes. So that's true.
0: Now, it's probably harder.
1: (laughs) But nothing in life
0: that's worth having is easy, is it? (laughs)
1: So. well uh uh Fr- Frank Abingale? Yes,
0: the the con man. Right? Yes.
1: <laughs> the, the, the catch me if you can guy. He did exactly that. He now in the movie they showed him pa- taking it once and passing. It took I him was, what three <laughs> times to, it to pass. It. Times. <laughs> yeah. But so. you know, he was an incredibly intelligent man, naturally intelligent, obviously well motivated. <laughs> and and, you know, he just put his resources to work in improving his skills to survive, unfortunately, in a less than upworthy way. But today, what's interesting is he paid his debt to society. Society forgave him. And uh, and now he's a multimillionaire consultant with all kinds of security agencies, FBI, you know, and, and this, that and the other. He did do right for himself and, and, and by society. And, uh, it's worth it if, uh, anybody's interested to, to look him up because going back to the original topic of this uh, conversation, you want to talk about humble roots. Uh, big time. Here's a guy who, I mean, talk, he's a Cinderella story if ever there was one. And while he was his own worst enemy for a lot of years, he certainly lived an interesting life in the process. Um, but you know, did make right by for himself and by himself. And, uh, now I mean, he's 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 really something, and and now what he has to say through the process of what he learned is worth all of us taking a listen to because <laughs> we uh, take he, a lot of these things for granted. Which he he would tell you, hey, people like me are out there hoping you do exactly that.
0: Absolutely, and so I think in the end we need to realize that uh, everyone started somewhere. Some of us start further behind the starting line than others. Uh, it's, it's really not where you start the race is where you finish the race. And the person that you disrespect, who's pushing that trash can, who has the room with the sawdust to get the vomit off the floor, may be your boss someday. So, so tread lightly there. And tread lightly.
1: if you're his boss today, doesn't mean you're not doing his job tomorrow. That's right. It goes both directions yeah. and there is no job that is unworthy. Um, but you know, the, I think again, just to reiterate Every skill, I don't care if you're sharpening pencils to flying airplanes, every skill has value. Absolutely. you um, shouldn't poo-poo any of them.
0: What, what What's the, the old line from the Sunset Boulevard movie? There are no small parts, just small actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are no small jobs, just small people. <laughs> so they're... Remember, All right. uh,
1: Hannibal Lecter uh the, the Oscar-winning actor, Anthony Hopkins, was on the screen for the least amount of time in that film.
0: Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Uh, and and was act right leading actor of the year, not the supporting actor, if I recall no, correctly. Best actor award, yeah, yeah. For so something
1: like less than twenty minutes or something.
0: Yes, that's not an untold story. Uh, all right. Well, you know, we have folks to think I thank that one guy, but he 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 promised us he was going to put the thanks to him at the front of every episode, and I don't want to bore our listeners with that.
1: Oh uh, yeah, no. But... <laughs> some part part something part part, yeah i don't remember uh Um, Uh,
0: but but we do appreciate him for for engineering our episodes and and for dealing with the technical difficulties and the long uh, uh, conversations we've had on uh, messaging apps uh, about the quality of this episode. So we're thankful to him. I'm not going to mention his name though, cause I don't want him putting it at the front of the
1: episode. Well, that's okay, <laughs> I'll mention his name, Parker McNerney. Um, and, and by the way, his, I was, I was uh, checking out his podcast. Cause What's he it called me And it was, and I'm suddenly sitting here uh, going blank on it, but it was, what was the device in the uh, back to the future? The, uh, Oh, Flix Capacitor—that's his podcast. They do a film review podcast, and it's Flix, like you know, Netflix. Right, Flix Capacitor. I thought it was very cool. So, and it's a clever name. Yeah, it's very a clever name. Very
0: clever name. So, name. so, check so out Flix
1: Capacitor, support our boy Parker and uh, and our uh, ad hoc engineer here, um, who's been helping us out uh, with with our sound and our editing. Uh, the Lazarus Trio, Carl Groves. Um, and Mike Koeniger, um, I, someday I'll meet this guy. He's written all our music, I guess. Uh, <laughs>
0: Carl, Carl is the one you need to meet. Uh, but I do, I think I still write some pretty cool songs. We'll just leave it at
1: that. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so. Um, we, uh, Hey, you man, to you, thank you for uh for stepping in i will tell you listeners, it's just one of those days where uh, as I said at the beginning, all I wanted to do was climb back under the covers and go go back to bed and, and, uh, and struggle with his wife yeah well, no she's not here either, so it would have been the cat I guess um <laughs> but the, the dogs aren't allowed in the bed uh but hey thanks for uh for cracking the whip and saying no we're gonna the All right, um, cracking whip.
0: You know, I think we're just going to leave that in because you you said that. Uh, we'll, we won't get Barker remove This one, and to uh,
1: you our listeners, uh, write in tell us of your uh, early start. Where did you become come from? Uh, were you a puppy like Wyatt, uh, just on the streets looking for a for a pickup, or uh, did you uh, did you start from humble beginnings and 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 build something great? Are we still in the process? What, what made you who you are today? Write us at civil discourse TNSS. That's this is not a safe space at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts.
0: Yeah, why it was the privileged dog. Kate, on the other hand, uh, she, she had the hard life. Genius, yeah. <laughs> 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 truly a humble begin. And thank you. Thank you for, for, for pushing forward. I know you weren't uh, feeling your best today, but I think this is this has been a great conversation. It wasn't what we planned to talk about. And and thank you again for your enthusiasm for this and and for all you bring to the table every week and the way we engage on these episodes. So, it's again, it's been an easy job being um, your co-host because you make it easy, and and I appreciate that. So, until next time.
1: Thank you, listeners.
0: And tip your waiters.
1: (laughs) And smash that like button for us. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll catch you next week.